were driving down the interstate a couple of Saturdays ago on our way to an event, and all of a sudden couldn't accelerate any longer in the van. This has happened multiple times, so it's really nothing new for us, and uh, kind of went in a standard operating procedure at that time, as you can't really accelerate, just kind of chugs along, you, you restart, get going. We made it to the event. We got to the event and kind of told some friends at the event, hey, follow us home. Make sure we get home. Kind of take the back roads. So the, our neighbors followed us home, only had to stop one time on the way home to pull over, restart, and get going. Got home and thought to myself, well, you know, it's kind of been going on for a while. I'm going to try and do a little something about it now. So I visited my local uh, vehicle store on Minnesota Avenue, and I'd been there a couple of other times recently other due to the van issues, and so I kind of got to know the cashier guy a, a little bit. And so I was in there visiting with him a little bit, and I was buying some oil, oil and coolant. And uh, he says to me, he's like, well, I'm surprised you knew to check the oil. <laughs> I'm like, well, who do you think I am? Maybe it was my comment before about asking if they had blinker fluid. I gave him a, a little tip that we were in for a long, a long time. Well, he says to me, I'm surprised you knew to check the oil and the coolant level. And I said to him, yeah, it kind of is because I said, this is really weird. There's, there's no oil anywhere. And there's no coolant anywhere. Anytime we park, there's no, I look underneath, no coolant, there's no oil. I said to him, however, when I lift up the dipstick, there's no oil. What's going on? He's like, that's not good. You probably just need an IV of oil and coolant constantly into the vehicle. Well, I don't know about you, but I kind of like getting from point A to point B. And I've got very little mechanical skills, but I've come to the realization that oil and coolant are kind of important. You could call it what? Essential. I mean, the car guy basically said what? Yeah, check your oil. That's basically what? Just secondhand knowledge. You're supposed to know that automatically. If I came into that place this morning and said, hey, you having some trouble? And he's like, hey, have you checked your oil? And I said, no. He would have been like, huh, that's ridiculous. Check your oil. It's just kind of what? Assumed. If you want a good working vehicle, what do you have? Oil. And you don't think about it, what? Until you see it, or there's effects that make it appear as though something is wrong. In the journey of life, there's something that actually is assumed in the Bible that oftentimes we simply forget. That which is assumed in the Bible is Satan. That there is the presence of evil forces all around us. But the majority of us Christians, especially in the American church where we work everything out scientifically, we've come to a place where what? We simply have kind of forgotten about Satan or evil supernatural forces around us because we can't see it, touch it, feel it, scientifically make sense of it. Therefore, what? Well, it must not exist. Yet according to the view of the world from the scriptures, that if we're going to make it from point A to point B in our spiritual journey, if we're going to experience spiritual health, we're going to have to come to a point where we have to fight against that which is trying to rob us of our health, Satan and evil forces around us. This morning we're going to take some time to try and understand this idea that Satan and evil forces are at work around us. Well, well why? Not because it's kind of some little fun topic that you find a little book about every once in a while, but because this is central to the ministry of Jesus Christ. We arrive in Luke chapter 4 here. Jesus is just starting his ministry. And what's garnering all of the attention for Jesus? 
is that he's casting out demons. So we see this throughout the Gospels where Jesus arrives in a town. What happens? Everybody comes to him to have a demon cast out. And these demons are actually speaking back to Jesus. And Jesus is saying to these demons, you can't speak. There's a lot of mystery and a lot of interesting things going on here. And a lot of us look at this type of Bible passage and what do we say? It doesn't relate to me at all because this isn't going on around me. The problem with that approach that many of us take to the Bible is here is that that means the Bible is about us. That means that we only are interested in the Bible when it's about us. That's what's considered a person-centered approach to the Bible rather than a God-centered approach to the Bible. That the Bible's ultimately not about you and I. The Bible's about God. God put in writing, in human language, information to reveal himself to us. And so if we go to this passage and we say, well, that doesn't really relate to me, so therefore it's irrelevant. We would miss a major portion, if not all, of the scriptures. The Bible passage this morning is not about you. It's not a matter of if you can relate to it or not. The question is, what's it revealing about Jesus Christ? And what it's revealing about Jesus Christ this morning is that he has all authority. That Jesus is the supreme one who has command over everything. And the reason we want to look at this this morning is because the ultimate interaction of Jesus here reveals that he has ultimate authority because he's in interaction with Satan and evil forces. So let's take a moment and try and understand, okay, what's going on with Satan? We've probably all seen a picture, you know, of a little devil. We've probably heard Satan. We've heard devil. Uh, we've heard the evil one. Well, what is Satan? Two things to keep in mind when we're thinking about Satan according to the Bible. The first is this. Satan is not opposite of God. So this is one mistake we oftentimes make is that we enter in with this understanding that there's this cosmic battle going on of good versus evil. The biblical worldview actually is not that. There is not a cosmic battle going on of good versus evil of who's going to win. Satan is not the opposite of God. Actually, Satan is a creature of God. So here's where we come to our first thing that we have to know and also our first mystery. So Satan is a creature of God. Now, the obvious question to me is, well, that was not good planning. Right? I mean, let's be honest, right? This does, just does not make a lot of sense. Why would you create a being who then is going to be opposed to you and who you're going to have to fight against? This is where we find something that all of us are uncomfortable with. The silence of Scripture. Scripture is simply silent. There's no definitive word given in the Bible of why God created this angel who God know would fall one day and lead an opposition force against him. Scripture is simply silent. That's it. That's all I got for you today. You can go home. Scripture is silent on, on why this is, but what Scripture is not silent about is this. Satan is not the opposite of God. Satan is a creature of God. If you want to write down a scripture verse, you can look at later when you get home this afternoon. Because the Vikings, I don't even want to go into that. I mean, if you want to go home this afternoon and look at some scripture, Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19. If you look at Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19, it's a prophecy about a city that's a very evil. And those verses are specifically talking about the force behind this city. And so it goes into detail about this 
fallen angel who was one point in the Garden of Eden, but that angel fell. That angel then fell and now has an evil force. That evil angel is now Satan, who is behind the city that you'll be reading about there in that prophecy. Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19, you can check out that later if you want home to get some more background information on that. Satan is not the opposite of God, but rather Satan is a creature of God. This is critical to understand because this puts us in a position of boldness rather than doubt. The question is not who's going to win because it's already been won. The question is who's going to enjoy the win? There's not doubt about good versus evil. There's doubt about who's going to be enjoying the win. Satan's job right now is not to defeat God. Satan's job right now is to steal as many as possible away from God. It's not a matter of who wins. It's a matter of who gets to enjoy the win. The second thing we want to keep in mind about Satan, first, Satan is not the opposite of God. Second thing we want to keep in mind about Satan is this. Satan has serious amount of power in this world. Satan has a serious amount of power in this world. If you have your Bible, look with me at a verse here, John chapter 14, verse 30. Just turn from Luke a couple of pages to the book of John. John chapter 14, verse 30, directly from the mouth of Jesus. Directly from the mouth of Jesus, John 14, verse 30, he says this. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. So right there, the ruler of this world is coming. Jesus says that, not about himself, not about the heavenly father, but about Satan, the ruler of this world. Now turn, if you would, towards the back of your Bibles to this little letter called 1 John. 1 John is at the very back of the Bible, just before the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. So we first heard from Jesus saying, hey, the ruler of this world, so much authority Satan has, 1 John 5, 19 says this, we know that we, Christians, are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is really important verse to see here. Because this is written at least 50 years, probably. 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Why is that important? Because Satan's work did not end when Jesus left earth. So some people would read the Gospels and they'd see all this interaction between Jesus and Satan and be like, well, that was when Jesus was on earth. That's done. Okay, this letter is written well after Jesus is gone. And what's the apostle encouraging us? Basically reminding us that what? Satan is very active. Not just active. Satan has power in this world. Satan's not the opposite of God. Yet Satan has power and authority in this world. Why, why is this important? Well, if we're going to win the battle in our own lives of experiencing the peace, love, joy, contentment that God created us to have, we have to know our enemies. It does not work going to battle not knowing who you're fighting against. 
You have to know your enemy so that what? You can know what tools or weapons to use against your enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, there's a famous Bible passage where it's talking about put on the whole armor of God. And that Bible passage starts by this, by saying, hey, hey, be alert. Your battle is not against the flesh and the blood, but your battle is against the evil forces that are at work against us, Satan, the evil one. The reason that we're encouraged to put on the armor of God is because there's an evil force, an evil person, demons, angels against us. And that Satan has power in this world. So Satan is not the opposite of God, yet Satan has a lot of power in this world. That's just a kind of what I'll call a baseline understanding of Satan and the evil forces that exist. Okay, so now, with that in our understanding, that's the biblical worldview. We've all probably heard the phrase or we've said the phrase at some point, what you see is what you get. Right? Some of us even say this with pride, right? We kind of like, what you see is what you get. We use that as kind of what? Well, this is who I am. There's no hidden agendas, nothing going on. What you see is what you get is biblically untrue for our day-to-day life. What you see is not everything that's going on. What you see is not everything that's going on. There's much more activity that we can't even see going on behind the scenes. So what's going on? Well, there's three things I want to encourage us to think about this morning that's really going on in our lives that other people can't see and going on in the world around us. The first is this. This is what's going on. Jesus has all authority. Okay, you might be thinking to yourself, what, how, what you see, how does that relate to this? When people come up to you, they don't see Jesus, right? Has anybody ever walked up to you and been like, wow, very nice to meet you, and well, Jesus, nice to meet you as well. No one sees Jesus with you. And, and no one really knows that what? Jesus is your final authority. And so there's going to be times where there's confusion. You're going to do something, and people are going to be like, what and why are you doing that? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't feel right to do that. That's not what I was taught to do. That's not what the world around us does. But here's what they're not seeing. They're not seeing that the one who has supreme authority in your life is not what you can see, feel, and touch, but Jesus Christ who's on his throne in heaven. This is the whole point in Luke chapter 4, the Bible passage that we started with today, is that what? Jesus has all authority. The demons are coming out of these people and they're saying, you are the son of the most high God. Tell us what to do. They're basically bowing down because they recognize that they're in the presence of the kingdom of God, the one who has supreme power and authority. The point of us hearing these stories about Jesus walking around is not so you and I can relate to the people that are in the stories. The point of the written stories are what? So that you and I would hear and believe. In the end of the Gospel of John, the the author John writes basically saying, hey, I could have written thousands of stuff. I could have filled up many more books. But but I wrote what I wrote, what? So that you would believe. These stories are shared so that you and I believe. The stories were done so that what? So that the people Jesus was with would believe. Most of us, we've fallen in love with what? The sign and the wonder itself. Now, I want to be careful here this morning because there is a a legitimate plea to see signs and wonders, right? I mean, how many of you have ever prayed for healing? 
How many of you have prayed for healing and it's not happened? I would assume all of us, probably at, at some point, right? We, we want there to be healing. God asks us in the Bible multiple times to, to pray for healing. Yet there's times when what? It doesn't happen. We've said, Jesus, come. And in those moments, you could say what? Who's, who's Jesus? Didn't, didn't show up. Here's the challenge for us. Jesus could show up, but guess what? Even no matter what healing he brings right now, it's still only temporary. It's still only temporary. Jesus healed a lot of people in the Gospels. Jesus even raised someone from the dead. But, but here's what we have to remember. The person he raised from the dead, guess what? He died. The people he healed, what happened? They died. So it gave him a moment. Did it give him a moment? Absolutely. And I don't want to downplay that at all for that, for that extra moment. But that extra moment is not the point at all. The whole point is it's a sign. Jesus is healing people in the Gospels and, and giving rid of demons. Why? That give people a sign, basically, that what? Says, hey, here's the Messiah. He's arrived. Jesus goes to a wedding. One of his very first miracles, Jesus goes to a wedding. And for some of you, this is your favorite miracle of Jesus, right? Jesus, Jesus shows up at a wedding, right? And, and the wedding party's starting to kind of die down a little bit. And guess what? There's no wine left. I'm leaving. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus changes water to wine. Your homework assignment this afternoon with reading Ezekiel is to go and find the story about Jesus changing water to wine. Why does Jesus change the water to wine? It's not because the party was dying down. I'll just give you that hint right now. Why does Jesus heal people and dismiss demons to give people a sign that he is the Messiah. Here's what happens. You miss the sign, you miss the destination. This happens all the time. We get a sign, we miss the destination. This morning my heart breaks for you. If you've pleaded with God to intervene and God has not intervened. But I'm here to tell you today that whether God intervened for you or didn't intervene for you, it does not change the fact that God is the only one who's ever intervened at death through His Son, Jesus Christ. And any intervention He brings today would be momentary. He's already taken care of the eternal intervention. All of this work of Jesus, healing, casting out of demons, is a sign. It's all a sign. There's so much more going on behind the scenes. And what's this all come back to is this. Jesus has all authority. Jesus heals. Jesus gets rid of demons to show that he has all authority. The question for you and I today is this. Does Jesus have all authority in our lives? To live out Luke chapter 4 is to what? Say, Jesus, you have all authority. Does Jesus have authority in your life today? Second thing about kind of this idea, what you see is what you get is this. Second thing, there's forces that are moving, and these forces are driving wedges. So what you see is what you get is not true according to the Bible, because there's forces moving and driving wedges in our lives. Here's, here's Satan's main job description. 
Satan's main job description is to water whatever bad root you have in your life. So let's say there's a little bitterness in your life. Somebody wrongs you, a legitimate wrong. Here's what Satan does. Satan takes that legitimate wrong and he just waters that baby to what? To the point where you're what? Now you at a point of justifying that you can be bitter towards someone else. They justifying that you can want something bad to happen towards someone else. Satan sees a little bit of a crack and he goes right for it. Whatever's our bad root for all of us. For all of us there's a different root, right? For those of us who struggle looking at certain things, for those of us who struggle with certain words, Satan just grabs onto that little thing. He says, it's okay to say that about so-and-so. It's okay to look at that. Satan's just there to take it, that little root, and what? Make it a big wedge. Drive that wedge between you and God. Because if Satan drives that wedge, here's what happens. You're not spreading the gospel. You're not telling others about Jesus. The more Satan can separate you from God, alienate you from God, means you're not on mission for God. Satan's trying to get other people to not hear the gospel. There's driving forces at work behind us. Now, if you don't have any driving forces in your life, if there's nothing weird going on ever, this morning I'm here to tell you, that's a warning. If you don't have any weeds, what does that mean? You don't have a garden. If you have no weeds, you have no garden. If Satan is not active in your life, guess what? That's a pretty clear sign you have no faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Why would he bother you? It's already done. We've been working on this house in Pettigrew Heights, and we've been reciting the garage. And as we were reciting the garage, taking it down, all of a sudden there's just there's hornets and wasps ev- everywhere and a big big wasp nest on there. Well, the first time we're over there working on it, one of the guys working on it's like, hey, 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 you don't bother it, it won't bother us. Hey, great, awesome thing, won't touch it, right? Well, now, a couple weeks later, we're there with a, I don't want to say much older, but an older and a wiser gentleman working with us. And there's a big nest up in the corner, and I'm like, I say to him, I'm like, well, hey, last week so-and-so, I don't want to mention his name here in public, last week so-and-so said, if we don't bother it, it won't bother us. Well, what does the wiser man say? It's not about bothering them. It's when they hear you, they will start bothering you. I'm thinking, well, if my hammer just avoids them, we're fine. The wiser man was like, the moment they hear your hammer on the building, get ready. You've awakened them. Satan is the exact same way. If you've got no activity of Satan in your life, it's a pretty clear sign that what? You're not making any sound for the glory of God. Because the moment you start making some sound for the glory of God, get ready. You're going to be under attack. We see it in the Bible. The Apostle Paul warns them, hey, watch out. There's a devil roaming around like a lion. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. There's forces at work. Jesus has final authority. And then finally, kind of this, you and I, we don't need to be alarmists, but we do need to be aware. So the first two points, Jesus has all authority. There's forces at work. You and I, we don't need a bunch of Christians running around Sioux Falls. And when somebody says something to you, you're just like, well, 
off with you, Satan. Okay, probably not the right approach. Someone has a hard word for you, it's probably not the right approach to you. Well, I know that's not you, that's the devil. Hey, here, 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 here. The Bible doesn't tell us that we need to call it for what it is, okay? Our, our faithfulness to God is not determined by how loudly we're declaring that that was Satan, that wasn't you. We go into situations with extra awareness that others may not have. Here's what this does. Catch this. It actually gives you more compassion for the person. Christians should be the most compassionate and most patient patient with people. Why? Because we have an understanding that there's more going on. There's more to the story. And when so someone has a bad word for you, you're kind of two steps ahead because you know that, yeah, there's stuff with them that's at fault, but guess what? We also know there's something else going on. So it gives us a little extra patience and compassion for people. We don't need to be running around town going, Satan, Satan, evil one, evil one. We need to be running around town going, there's more going on here, and it's going to take more time with this person to help them understand it. Raise our level of awareness. Because we know there's forces at work, yet at the exact same time, we know that Jesus has all authority. Turn with me in your Bible to the book of 1 John where we, where we spent a little bit of time. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. 1 John 4, verse 4, right before the book of Revelation, almost at the end of the Bible. 1 John 4, verse 4. Little children, this is talking to grown adults. Little children just mean people who are loved. You are from God and have over... And have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. See, Christians don't have to be alarmists. Why? Because the one who is with us has all authority over the one who is against us. And so when we know the forces that are at work around us, we go with confidence because we know that the one who is in us, Jesus Christ, the same one who cast out the demons, the same one who defeated Satan at the cross, is the one who the Bible promises is residing in us, along us. This mysterious idea that Jesus is with us. That when we come to faith, Jesus actually takes residence in our life. And the good news is this, is that the one who resides in us is greater magnitude greater than the one who wants to break into our residence. We have to remember this, that he who is in us is greater than the one who is working against us. Jesus has all authority. There's forces at work against us. You and I don't have to be alarmists. We simply need to be aware, and we're aware that Jesus is authority, there's forces at work. The question today is not, do you believe in Satan or not believe in Satan? Because I got news for you this morning. It doesn't matter. Satan does not care. Whether you believe in Satan or not believe in Satan, Satan's at work right now, today. 
in ignorance is not a good strategy. The only strategy is one of claiming the name of Jesus Christ, who has all authority over the one who's working against us. So it's not this morning whether you believe in Satan or not. The question this morning is, are you going to deal with what you see? Are you going to deal with the reality that the Bible teaches? Are you going to deal with what you see? Or are you going to deal with the reality that the Bible teaches? And what the Bible teaches is that there is one named Satan who is against God, not the opposite of God. What the Bible teaches is that there's one named Satan who has great power here on earth. But more than that, what the Bible declares is that God has sent one, his son Jesus Christ, who has all authority over this one who's opposed. What the Bible teaches is that those forces are at work today against us. But the one who is in us is greater than the one who is against us. And so today I want to encourage you to, to do one thing. Claim the name of Jesus Christ. Claim the name of Jesus Christ. This is how you fight against the reality that the Bible teaches. Because there's only one name that stands against Satan. Jesus, the only one who has defeated. So here's what that looks like. Let me give you two very practical things. Number one is this, and some of you are really probably uncomfortable with this, right? This is not where we live. This is not where we operate in a majority of the time. Just because we didn't grow up that way doesn't mean that we don't need to sometimes move that way. Number one is this. You need to pray in the name of Jesus against evil activity in your own life. Very simple. God, in the name of Jesus, squelch the work of Satan right now in X or Y. In the name of Jesus, pray. In the name of Jesus, pray against Satan. That's number one for all of us here today. Number two, the only way to defeat Satan is to live in the truth of Jesus Christ. You want to go to battle against Satan? Live in the truth of Jesus Christ. It's the only way to defeat him. And so to live in the truth of Jesus Christ means what? To put on the character and the purposes of Jesus Christ, simply following Jesus. It's the only way, what? To get to the destination. Satan's trying everything to stop you from getting to that destination. There's only one pathway, living in the truth of Jesus Christ. And so today I want to encourage you, pray in the name of Jesus Christ against evil, satanic forces in your own life. Secondly, live in the truth of Jesus Christ to battle Satan. Here's why I say that. We don't need to get all goofy and weird. We don't need to bring snakes through the door and be like, hey, we're going to get rid of Satan today with these snakes and things like that. It's not goofy and weird. It's actually pretty straightforward. Living in the truth of Jesus Christ is forgiving someone who's wronged you. If you want to make Satan mad, forgive that person who's wronged you rather than hold on to the bitterness. You want to make Satan mad? Love your enemy who wants to destroy you. You want to make Satan mad? Instead of grabbing for yourself, give away for the good of others. This is not rocket science. It's living in the truth of Jesus Christ. And so today, let's pray in the name of Jesus and let's live in the truth of Jesus Christ because there's one who's against us. But thanks be to God, the one who lives in us has already defeated the one who's against us.
Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you right now. God, this is different, probably new for some of us right now. So God, I ask in the name of Jesus, anywhere where Satan is at work in my life, anywhere where Satan is at work teasing or pleading with anybody in this room, we ask right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would squelch, that you would quench Satan right now, Lord. That in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan would be put away with in our own hearts and our own lives. God, we also come right now and ask that you'd clothe us in the character of Jesus. Clothe us in the purposes of Jesus Christ. God, we claim Jesus above all else, for he alone is worthy of all honor and glory. And so we sing that, we say that, we believe that. God, thank you for healing us. Thank you for saving us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.